There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. We will continue exploring and discovering new worlds, new civilizations. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Richard Dave, and joining me on this mission, Into the Unknown, is... I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and today we'll be discussing Episode 2 of Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. Do we have any news? Do we have any news? No, uh, no news. news. Yeah, no news is good news, then. Yeah, well, what did you think about the episode? <laughs> well, I know we're not rating it, but if we were, I would rate it three out of five removable wrist moles. <laughs> nice. That's the one thing he's worried about. Can we lose the mole? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little vain there, don't you think, Steve? Right. Yep. It's going to be more human. He's going to dump. His partner there. That's yeah. what that was my. Oh, yeah. There, you definitely got a little bit of uh, support for that theory. Was, yeah, a little you, bit. You little wanted bit. to be a guardian. You weren't going to be able to do that. Or a host again. You weren't going to yeah, be able no to kidding. do those things with Adira on the Discovery. Yeah. You'd think Adira would put that stuff together, but not yet. Yeah. I think she's still too shaken up by Quajon and everything else that's been going on. I mean, yeah, yeah we're sure. starting to see some. PTSD showing up in this episode for sure. <laughs> yeah, she was a little shaky. Yep. And yeah, we knew Book would, but wasn't expecting two of the crew to show signs, even though we had hints of it from Tilly in the yeah. first episode. Do you have a handle on uh, Tilly's PTSD? She also her disappointment angle. I mean, <laughs> first of all, she's the only one that's not a lieutenant commander on the bridge. Right, it seems. Yes. <laughs> Certainly well, not. You can get a promotion to uh, number one either. No. You'd think that would hurt her that much. I wonder if it's a bit much to call it a death wish, but uh, that's Book's job in this right, episode. Yes, right? absolutely. She, she does seem a little off, like she wants to leave or be somewhere else in the worst way. Right. Like she said, <laughs> she's lost all her ambition. And that was what basically drove her for the last three seasons. Yeah. And there were multiple hints that she was going to be in a captain's chair. And one way or another, they actually got to do it. Right. But why is she giving that up? Yeah. I think it's just, once again, she got a promotion, but there was none of her family there to see her actually do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing that grabs her the most is being able to share her accomplishments with her family, and she can't. So it's like, why try anymore? Wow. So well, she, that's going to be a problem. Yes, that is going to be a big problem. <laughs> Usually the crew substitutes for your family, but if she can't find that substitute, that's that's a problem. Yep. I do think Culber will be able to help her. Uh, mm. No doubt about that. All right, shall we get into episode two, Anomaly? Sure. Saru returns to help the USS Discovery uncover the mystery of an unusually destructive new force. As Burnham leads the crew, she must also find a way to help Book cope with an unimaginable loss. Yeah, she's the person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So aboard his ship, Book sits quietly and remembers flying through a flock of falling birds. I almost said flock of seaballs. That, that's not even a, a boomer reference. That's an <laughs> 80s reference. Yeah. Shortly before the uh, destruction of Kuejan, he also sees Kahim and Leto, who were on the planet when it was destroyed by the anomaly. Burnham attempts to comfort him, but she is called away by a arrival of a guest. Booker, otherwise unresponsive, urges her to go. Yeah, that was a little cold. Yes, too. very. Yeah, you should go. Okay. In her ready room, Burnham greets Saru, who again wears a Starfleet uniform. So good to see him back. She tells him, Book, he looks good in the red, too, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, this, one, this is minor C, but if they cha- change her, her hair one more time, yeah. I might <laughs> stick a phaser. But this, I actually like this do that's right. straight down the back and not over the shoulder. Yeah. She looks more, uh, I don't know, like a captain. Yeah. She tells Saru that Book is the only known survivor from Quasion, though Starfleet is looking for other of this species who, who may have been off-world. I wonder if that was a hint. Who would it be, if anybody? Right. Why would it matter? Well, it would matter. To him. When, yeah, when Vulcan was destroyed, at least they had some Vulcans that survived. So yep. he wasn't the only one left of his species. And yeah, finding other Quasions would at least relieve Book from that. Yeah. Then at the time, there was two Spocks yeah. <laughs> running around. Burnham also reveals Book has been numb from grief in the two days since Quajon's destruction. Saru explains he will remain a village council member in absentia, but that Starfleet needs him now. Burnham congratulates Saru on being offered command of the USS Sojourner. Saru replies that, well, one day he would like to return to the captain's chair. This is not that time. He offers to serve as the second pair of trusted eyes to Burnham, as she did for him when he first became the captain. In a briefing at Federation headquarters, Stamps explains that the anomaly that hit Quajon in deep space repair Beta-6 is a massive five light years in diameter, shocking the Federation Lara Rillick. That would shock anybody. Yes! <laughs> what do you have to go to? <laughs> wow, go five times the speed of light just to get across it? Yes. If that happens, that's, that's a little too hard to dodge. This yeah. just pops out of nowhere. <laughs> no joke. Stamets until they explain they are flummoxed by the anomaly, and that their current theory is that it's a roving binary black hole. Two black holes that are merging, creating huge gravitational waves in the process. Quajon was destroyed because it was closer to the source of the waves. The station further away was able to survive its initial impact. I'm sure there's a hint with the birds, though. Like how Adira said, they have birds have a little magnetic right. Yep. sense. So it has to be something that's I don't know, calling to this binary black hole. Do you think? It's I don't a know. Possibility, yeah. Stamets brings up a holographic simulation based on a theory that seems to account for what happened to Quajon. Just then, Book enters the room, creating an awkward atmosphere. He asks them to continue. The simulation shows the destruction of Quajon. No planet could withstand such stresses. Their models indicate the anomaly will enter the Risco system soon, and Rilak orders an immediate evacuation. Wow. Better hurry up and build those ships fast. Yes. <laughs> Other Starfleet captains have numerous questions, but Burnham says the only way to find answers is to collect more data. You know what I liked about that, Steve? That scene? What? Lots of boomers. Yes. <laughs> Remember in the original series? And I'm sure everyone remembers the original series. Yeah. <laughs> At least in repeat. You wouldn't see anyone with gray hair. I no. mean, nobody. It was all for the young to travel in space. Yep. Represent, Steve. Represent. Absolutely. <laughs> Navarre President Tarina offers the services of the Navarre Science Institute in analyzing any data, explaining that while Navarre is not a Federation member, such a crisis requires contribution from its allies. Oh, man, they better not threaten that planet now. 
Right. Remember, I had a theory going in the previous episode that Rulek's going to have to make a call whether to save her world or not. Right. And because it's not a Federation member, might let it go. Oh, man. Yeah, Burnham might do something that... (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course. First thing she does is disobey orders, right? Yeah. Torina also warns of potential civil unrest. Another hint. Yeah. Board USS Discovery, uh, even within the civil arrest, even on a ship, I would imagine. Aboard USS Discovery, Tilly acts awkwardly while walking down a corridor with Saru. (laughs) Funny. She keeps looking at him. And he's like, yes. <laughs> she asks him if he's gotten taller. Saru says he's not until he posits he has more swagger, and which assures him that's a compliment. Please shares her discomfort in the wake of the death of Commander Nalas and the destruction of Kuejan, marveling at her smallness in the cosmos. Yeah, she definitely has identity problems. Yes. But Saru argues that that's how each individual spends their time would matter. They arrive on the bridge where Owo addresses Saru as captain. That's correct. He has to be addressed. Simply as Saru, but Burnham suggests Mr. Saru, and I think everybody went, oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Speaking on a shipwide channel, Burnham tells the crew about the danger they face in investigating the anomaly and vowed to prevent further deaths. Oh, yeah. Kiss of death. Discovery uses the spore drive to jump close to the anomaly. A polarizing spectrographic filter on the on the view street reveals the anomaly, unnerving the crew. I always appreciate that. I mean, they're, they're not looking at anything. Right. Yes. Green. <laughs> they all have to act shocked. Yep. Always good job doing that. Cause, you yeah. Know, Especially always, book. Yes. Makes his eyes water like on command. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. Deborah keeps discovery at a safe distance from the anomaly, but Owo reports that subspace gravitational waves are not where they had predicted. Also, are unable to see two black holes, potentially discounting their working theory. It was on the graphic, though, when they first explained the two black holes. You could see in the right. background that there were two. Philly explains there is an accretion cloud made up of gas, dust, and large amounts of dark matter surrounding a gravity well, so a black hole still fit. However, Stamets says the gravitational Doppler shift from their scans is way up, leaving them perplexed. And that's when I started thinking, ah, if it pops up out of nowhere, is someone steering it? Yes. Which would make it a weapon, I guess. Yes. Either I, that or absolutely. Or either that or someone invented it and now they can't control it. That could be as well. Yeah. So the ship scanners cannot penetrate the outer edge of the accretion cloud. Obtaining the necessary data will require flying into it, which Detmer warns would pose a serious risk of discovery. Saru suggests sending dot drones with sensors, but maintaining communications would be difficult. Well, you could tether them, can you? Yeah. Just saying. Book offers up his ship, which is large enough to navigate the cloud, but small enough to avoid most of the debris. It can also change uh, shape to compensate for torque. Of course, everyone knows at this point, he's he, he seems a little suicidal. Like, why oh, bother? Absolutely. Yeah. He's got that thousand-yard stare in his face, like, I don't care what I do. Yeah. Burnham orders Detmer and Stamus prepared to go in, but Book asks to speak in private. Sorry, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Burnham tells Book that, that the pilot must be clear-headed. Book pushes back, and they fight. But ultimately, she notes that he is not a member of uh, Starfleet and does not need Burnham's permission. Yeah, but, it, uh, you know, when I heard that argument, Steve, it's her ship. Right. His ship is on her ship. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck. I say hello to the brig. Right. Collecting the data right the first time I give crucial information that could help save the other worlds, he argues. In Sick Bay, Culver and Adira show Gray, still visible only to Adira, a holographic representative of the newly constructed android body. Gray is excited for the possibility of having a corporal form again, including him a host or a guardian. <laughs> As we discussed earlier. Yep. Gray feels guilty for feeling joy at the time of Great Sorrow, but Culver explains that life must continue. Yeah, <laughs> well, his boyfriend was in trouble. <laughs> no star is created an excellent likeness of Gray using a Zoom-type synth body, making Gray marvel at the 800-year-old technology. Where did it all go, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> 
By the way, do you like those ads that have data, number one? Oh, yeah. Those are great. <laughs> Playing the game? Yeah, they're great. Yes. Those are so great. I think they need more of those. Yeah. Colbrook explains that transferring consciousness to the synth body was tried many times after Alton Inigo Soon first successfully performed on Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. Nice little tie-in. That yes. was a low success rate because it caused people to stop trying eventually. Adir and Gray are concerned, Culver replies, that the survival of Gray's consciousness to another host was a good sign. It says they can ask Guardian Z once the synthetic body is ready. He also explains the body will age as Gray would have. Yes, same with Picard, too. He's like, nuts. He knew Picard was a little disappointed. Yeah. I think he's going to be forever, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> Gray also asks whether a mole on his hand can be removed, explaining that during his first transition, he had bigger things to think about, but that was his second chance to remake his body. Colbert happily does so. So, he's getting more of those human emotions that might match our working theory. Right. In her ready room, Burnham experienced a holographic recreation of Navarre, Vulcan, where she grew up. That was cool. Yes. First, it threw me. Yeah. You know, as it <laughs> like, onto wait, the wait, holodeck. Wait. But then, yes, Rue arrives and explains that they're over Lake Huron, where Burnham would run away when she was getting used to her parents being gone. And Burnham asks Zorda to deactivate the program. The creator picks the name of herself, Burnham tells Saru. That was funny. Then she asks for his advice on Booker. I wonder if everybody can do that in their room now. You have a little holograph projector where you can just go anywhere. Yeah, that'd be nice. I would play cards with the uh, Next Generation crew. I oh, think. absolutely. <laughs> she explains that as captain, she believes him to be the right choice for the mission, but reveals that she has seen him struggling after the destruction of the homeworld. Yeah, just a little. Saru suggests additional safety measures in case Book should try to take an extreme risk in engineering. Stamets is shocked that Burnham has suggested sending him with Book on such a dangerous mission, <laughs> given that the only two who can operate the spore drive. Come on, Stamets. Yeah. <laughs> Burnham explains that she will send a holograph projection of Stamets, keeping his body safe on Discovery and maintaining a tether with Book's ship to maintain proximity and allow holographic signals to make it through the accretion cloud. This may be a dumb question, but why didn't they just send a holographic Book? Exactly. <laughs> He can steer it from that. I oh, would wow. think he could. I think I'm sure somebody will disabuse me. Yeah. She asked Colbert to be on the bridge during the mission. Stamets confides in Colbert that he doesn't know what to say to Booker normally, let alone in the wake of Quasar's destruction. Yeah. This this is when you cue in the odd couple. Yeah. Music. <laughs> if I wish I had a cue up, I'd play it right now. Colbert recommends letting Booker guide him through his grief. Stamets activates the transmitter and finds his holographic self standing next to a standoffish book aboard the ship. Yeah, that was a little awkward. Yes. Trying to connect, Stamets awkwardly asks where the book feels cramps in his hands or tingles in his arm when he, using the spore drive, but book does not respond. He's about as cold as cold can get. Yeah. <laughs> Stamets goes to pet grudge, but but uh, book warns him that if hollows freak her out because she cannot smell them. Like it. Yes, absolutely uh, true. I could yeah. definitely see that. Yeah. He stows grudge safely elsewhere. Cosmic cat box. Yeah. <laughs> when he goes in the box, you don't know if he's alive or dead. Hmm. <laughs> book expresses anger that Stamets is there as a minder, but Stamets insists he's there for a scientific expertise. Book and Stamets depart. Tether to discovery. They quickly impact large debris, which Stamets notes is likely because it just passed through a planetary system before realizing that it was Quajon. <laughs> idiot. I know. <laughs> As they pass through more debris, Booker is reminded of the falling birds on Quasia and just before its destruction, it flashes back to images of Kaheem and Leto. Meanwhile, on Discovery, a surprise subspace gravitational wave sends the crew flying into the air where they remain suspended and helpless. That was awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was awesome. Zora explains the artificial gravity generators cannot compensate, but the wave suddenly passes, sending the crew slamming into the deck and sparks flying from the consoles. That always kills me, Steve. Yeah. Twenty. It's the what? Thirty third century or thirty yeah, second? Thirty second century. <laughs> and they still got sparks flying everywhere. I mean, it's cool, but really, seriously, yes. sparks. <laughs> That's like when they try to pick up something heavy. Programmable matter, no less. Yeah, yep. The crew's bruised, but otherwise okay. Tillery remarks that Discovery should not have been affected. Uh Uh-huh. Discovery was badly damaged, but the tether is intact. Booker's ship loses navigation, but insists on remaining inside the accretion cloud to gather the needed data. Tilly and Adira, who has a cracked rib, work to try to figure out why Discovery was so badly impacted. Adira feels Tilly is second-guessing their work, but Tilly snaps that in Starfleet, everyone's work is double and triple check. I didn't have a problem with that, actually. No, I mean, she, I think she outranks when, Adira, and Dira, your job is to listen, too. She True, but I think she could have said it in a more <laughs> Tilly tone instead of barking at her like she did. Well, she's the new Tilly now, I guess. Uh, maybe. She also orders them to incorporate the new data on their irregular gravitational strain on the Discovery. As Culber heals one of Tilly's wounds, she confides that she feels she is stamitzing right now. <laughs> That was good. That was a good one. Yep. Cobra replies that Adira looks up to Tilly, which seems to unnerve her slightly. Yeah, weird. Apparently, I can see being uncomfortable because she was always the one looking up to everybody else. And now she's got somebody looking up to her and it's like, ugh. (laughs) How does she expect to be a captain if she doesn't have... Right, exactly. Adira returns with the updated calculation. They have just seconds to warn Burnham before another disturbance hits the ship again and sending the crew flying. So, Steve, now they're running to and fro in the ship instead of transporting and... When they, I think, who was it? It was, I think it was the doctor. They asked him to the bridge and he just popped up. As, right. Know, yeah. Site to site transport. Do you suppose they're not doing that because the anomaly's near? Because I don't think they really expa- explained it. I mean, why are they running around? Well, they could yeah, transport. I would think so because I believe they did determine that they couldn't transport the people that were in the uh, repair station off. Yeah, nor anyone that's in the book ship, too, Right, I guess. Yeah. Nielsen reports that another hit will destroy the artificial gravity generators completely, though Bryce suggests the hull may breach first. Thank oh, you. no. <laughs> I know. Tilly reports they have four minutes before the next hit, then one and a half minutes, then 40 seconds. She cannot explain the irregular pattern. And it is irregular. Someone's steering it, Steve, or is yeah, it so... I, I think we're getting closer and closer to that potentiality, at least. You think it's from the future? Don't see why not. Especially a show like this. I mean, they're from the past. Right. In our future. I wonder if somehow, in the future, someone was trying to do, oh, this may be a stretch, like site-to-site right. transport from the future. That's because that why not at yes. that point? <laughs> you know? And things went horribly wrong. Just another tinfoil hat theory. Yep. Burnham Mull's pulling book ship out, but Stamets is unsure whether he has collected enough data to answer critical questions and repairing book ship for a second effort could take a week. Meanwhile, book hallucinates Leto running around his ship again. 
His attention returned by Stamets, Book recommends releasing the tether to keep Discovery safe despite his loss of navigation. Burnham hesitates, but order the tethered, snapped, and Discovery to retreat. So on that's the Rillick effect, right? Yeah. Kubiashu Maru making the decision. That was yep. fast. Yep. On Book's ship, Stamets still needs more time to finish his scan. Boson power unit emerges from the control panel damage. Book directs Stamets to use a phase discriminator to repair it. Stamets objects to Book's terse tone, to which Book replies that Stamets has spoken to him more today than the in the prior five months combined. Wow, it's a little catty. Yes, and that's funny, Book being catty with Mr. Caddy. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's where you learned it. Yep, Book accuses Stamets of having a bruised ego since he is no longer the only one capable of operating the spore drive. Meow. Yes. <laughs> Damage replies that he instead feels awkward around Book because Book saved Culber and Adira during the incident with Osira when Stamets could not. Jealous much? <laughs> much. Well, I know. These guys work it out, would you? Yeah, just then Stamets... Don't they have a 10 forward? Yeah. Have a couple of drinks? Just then Stamets' scans are complete, but he cannot transmit them to Discovery or return his holographic consciousness because of a communications block. Data, cell phone. Yeah. The, the cell phone's out. Yes. Data now lives only on Booker's ship. On Discovery, Telly and Adira have studied the anomaly and theorized that Book could somehow ride one of the gravitational waves to safety. And then we get the greatest of all time, as Bryce suggests adapting a kite surfing technique he learned on Manorock 4. Accelerating into the distortion at a specific point would allow his buoyancy to carry the ship out. If he was doing some kite surfing, that's probably something about his personal life we don't yes. know about. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Without navigational sensors, Book cannot simply guess the right angle and time, so Burnham will have to tell him when to go. Burnham waits for the right moment, but when she gives the order, Book hesitates and they miss the way, because he saw Lita again. Yeah. Stamets assures him another opportunity will come, and they have enough engine power for one more attempt. Book is dejected and tells Stamets, pull off the hollow transmitter. You're not even here. No one's here, he says. Stamets replies, I'm here. We're all here. Burnham warns of another distortion in two minutes, but Booker is distracted by another hallucination of Lita. Saru suggests Burnham talk to Book personally. And soon we get a Boomer reference. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, Burnham activates the personal communication and tells Book he can do this. Also known as the Cone of Silence. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to go to my red room to have a private conversation. I just go beep. <laughs> I swear, uh, Stamets could hear him, though. It sure yeah. seem like it. Yeah. When she tells him to go, Book flies into the distortion wave, and after a few tense moments on Discover, Book notifies them that they have made it out and transmits gathered data. Saru congratulates <laughs> Bryce for his hobby. <laughs> yeah, he'll have to send a congratulations back to Kurt, too. <laughs> yes. Stamets and Book have a bonding moment as Stamets actually thanks him, saving his family. Hooray. Yes, maybe. So yeah. Stamets removes his hollow and Colbert is there to welcome him back. Then we get a moment with Tilly and Colbert walking down one of the halls. And <laughs> Tilly is her usual awkward self. Stammering. But, yes. But it admits that the advice he gave her about Adira was 
good, and she needs to talk to him about what is going on with her. Of course, Culber replies that, yes, we will figure it out together. I was wondering if they didn't have a program for that, or a holodeck program. Yeah. Oh, well. For that, but yeah. better have a human contact anyway. Yeah. It's one thing to have a holographic doctor, but a holographic psychologist, <laughs> eh, maybe not. <laughs> Gray is proud of Adira, but she's not as excited as all this has taken a toll on her as well. And we can't have two of our brightest and smartest people on the edge of collapse here during yeah. this. Saru checks in with Tilly to see if they have got any new information from the data. Tilly informs him that they still have so much more to go through, but have discovered something concerning. She informs him that the anomaly changed directions, and they wonder how that could be and if they will be able to track. Oh boy, yep, there's somebody in the future. Somebody's <laughs> in control of that. Yeah, control it. Somewhat of a control of it. Cause right, yeah. Not Maybe not complete, but... Not completely. That's what you get from messing around with technology. Or it's actually sentient. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? A sentient black hole. Wow. <laughs> it would be. So, Steve, I know we've had some boomer talk already. Ready for yep. a few Easter eggs? Let's do it. Okay. Although he's later referred to as Mr. Saru, Saru is... Technically a Starfleet captain, he got four pips on his uniform and was offered the command of the ship called the Sojourner. But because uh, Saru becomes Michael Burnham's new first officer, his rank is simply set aside. You know what? They have all the pips right on the collar in the front. Yes. You notice that? There's also something on the, the shoulder, too, I thought. I should have taken a better look at it, but I, it, it makes you wonder. So... <laughs> Back in Kirk's day, they would just unpin the, the blouse so they can get the white part red with right, blood. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder what they do here. Do they actually pull that collar aside, which uh, you wouldn't be able to see the pips then. Not that you're undoing your uniform in public, but... Right. So anyway, after Kirk was demoted from Admiral to Captain of the Voyage Home, Spock still served as his first officer, even though he held the rank of Captain. Well, this goes back a long way. Yep. This is why in the final frontier and the undiscovered country, Kirk and Spock were both captains in rank. Ditto Burnham and Saru in Discovery right now. I just got my uh, Spock. Oh, it's one of those toys with the big Funko Pop. Yeah. They have the Kirk Funko Pop in the chair, and in, uh, they also have Spock in the chair. Isn't that interesting? Nice. Yeah. I would love to have one of the Mirror Universe Spocks. That would be awesome. <laughs> I have a Mirror Universe Spock right here nice. on my desk. Yeah. It, it has a speech, and, but it's actually from original Spock, even though they have the Mirror Universe. I'm like, well, you, you just blew that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it should be something Mirror Universe Spock says, but yes. no, nope, they got original recipe Spock saying it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Okay, so that said, it's not clear who Burnham's first offer was prior to return. Tilly, maybe? Well, well that's that's my thinking. I thought right. she was in line, line for it and didn't get it. As Saru and Burnham talk about Giorgio, they look at the telescope. This telescope appeared in the first episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 1, The Vulcan Hello, which was pretty awesome. And at that time, it wasn't a metaphor. Yeah. At that point, Burnham, Saru, and Giorgio used to check out the lurking Klingon ship that was undetectable by sensors after Giorgio died, did she? Yeah. Burnham got the telescope as part of Giorgio's wheel, but the Burnham later gave it to Saru, who kept it on Discovery. The telescope now seems to be co-owned by the both of them. Also, to be clear, when Saru refers to Giorgio here, he's only talking about Prime Giorgio, the latest captain of the USS Shenzhou. When Discovery jumps to the anomaly, Stamets says, Curiouser and Curiouser. I, I thought everybody. 
would yeah. recognize that. Yeah. There's people out that had a problem, like, that's directly lifted from Alice in Wonderland. In Discovery Season 1, it was established that Michael Burnham has read the book by her adopted mother, Amanda Grayson. Spock also quotes from Alice in Wonderland in Light and Shadows in Discovery Season 2, Episode 7. We don't know why Spock likes Alice in Wonderland, but Spock's mother reading him the works of Lewis Carroll was established in the episode of the animated series in 1973 called Once Upon a Planet. And man, that's a deep uh, reach right there. Yes. <laughs> really deep cut. Yeah. They get a book just like the people over at Marvel. Yep. In 2019, Nicholas Meyer, the director of Ratha Khan and co consulting producer... On uh, Disco Season 1 mentioned that bringing Alice in Wonderland into to Discovery might have been his idea. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I brought in Alice in Wonderland in the first year of Star Trek Discovery, Meyer said in 2019. It wouldn't surprise me to learn that I did, and it would it would astonish me. Well, maybe it would astonish me to learn that I didn't. <laughs> it could be funny. <laughs> Just can't Sit come down. out and say, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. me. Yeah, it was me. Gulper tells Adair and Gray that the new synth body for Gray was created using the Soon method. This references the finale of the Picard season one in which Picard, Picard's mind was moved into a humanoid synth body. This means that the Soon Culber refers to isn't Data's dead, Noonien Soon, but rather Data's human brother, Alton Soon. If you watch Picard, you would know that. Gray says that he might want to become a host again. This is a quick line, but actually kind of wild. This implies two things. First, that a Trill host could be joined with a, another symbiont and having been joined with a, who, after being joined with a different one. Obviously, there's never been a reason to think about this before. Usually, the reason a host no longer has a symbiont is that they've died and the symbiont has gone to someone else. Yeah. So, now that, yeah, now that Gray will be reborn, but not joined with Tal, he was right. He could be become a host again. But on top of that, this also implies that the synth trill body might be biologically compatible with it. a trill symbiont. Oh, boy. There's yeah. going to be some high tension on board that ship. <laughs> this means that even if synth bodies are no longer in fashion, they are basically close enough to be organic bodies. In theory, Gray could get another symbiont. It feels very unlikely that this will happen, but it's a cool prospect. Oh, although limited hologram tech existed in the 23rd century, this is probably the first time Brenner's been able to take advantage of the dank holotech that existed in the 24th century and beyond. Burnham adding a hollow to a redium also mirrors Jean-Luc recreating his study on the holodeck of La Soriana in uh, Star Trek Picard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. In her holographic recreation of the Vulcan Navarre, Burnham mentions the cliff of Surak and Lake Euron. Surak! Surak is a reference to the most important Vulcan historical figure ever, the founder of logic and peace. First glimpsed in the original series episode, The Savage Curtain, and later in the Enterprise, a three-parter beginning with The Forge. Not La Forge, The Forge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> lake Huron, on the other hand, is a very deep cut. The lake was referenced by Tom Paris while talking to Tuvok in the uh, Voyager episode, The Disease. Every once in a while, you still see uh, Tuvok pop up on something. Yes, absolutely. If I can remember his real name, I would tell you. <laughs> Do you remember his name? Is it Michael? Is his name Michael, no, too? Tim. No, Tim. That's it. Yes. Right. Thank you. Michael's referring to Discovery Ship computer as Zora. The computer voice now played actress by actress Annabelle Wallace, who first voiced Zora. In the 2018 short takes episode of Calypso, written by Picard co-creator Michael Chabon. The timeline of Calypso is, in theory, still at some point in the future in a current era of Star Trek Discovery. In 2020, Discovery producer and director Latunde Aswanamani, I can see it maybe, said those connections might not be one for one. Meanwhile, Michelle Paradise has gone on record saying Calypso has now become part of our canon, and yes, eventually we'll have to find our way, our way there. Stamets jokes about Burnham throwing him out of an airlock. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm glad they made reference to that. The reference to the fact that Burnham actually did use the Vulcan nerve pinching on Stamets and kicked him out of an airlock in Discovery Season 3, Episode 12. There is a tide. I, I still thought he was raw from that. They seem to have yes. gotten over. Yeah, might as well. I mean, you can't dis- explore every thread, I suppose. No. Still, it's a pretty heavy one. Yep. Well, so we very rarely see artificial gravity on the Star Trek spaceships get knocked out. The most prominent example is in the Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Very Shakespearean episode. Although he shares more conventional medical duties than with Dr. Pollard, it appears that Colbert has now become a de facto ship counselor. Yeah, apparently. This is probably because prior to Disco coming into the 32nd century, the role of the ship's counselor on the starships didn't really exist in 2258. In a deleted scene from the Next Generation episode Relic, Gotti is surprised that the Enterprise D has a ship's counselor, and Troy affirms that it's 100% something that happens after his time. So... <laughs> That, in his case, that would have made less scotch, so he's probably right, glad. Yes. <laughs> so, if we connect the dots, it means that Starfleet of 3189 obviously has ship's counselors and Culver's essentially getting a job that didn't even exist for him back in the 23rd century. Obviously, he's totally qualified and perhaps is poised to become the best Star Trek counselor of all time, but maybe not the hottest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess who's back, Dave? Who? It's our friend Fred from the Netherlands. He oh, yeah. Finally realized that Discovery <laughs> was back on, so we've got some feedback for Episode 1 and Episode 2, so let's oh, take a listen. Hello, Steve and Dave, and all listeners to the Fangirl Zone. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1 and 2. Hey guys, nice to be back here, although I almost missed it. I was living more or less under a stone. I don't know if that's an English expression as well, living under a stone. I did notice, actually, that Star Trek Discovery had started again. And in my case, this expression is even funnier, because my last name, Petrie, also means stone. You know, the word petrify. And although my parents didn't know it, in the 60s we had a cartoon with Flintstones, and we had a guy there, Fred Flintstone. So Fred Stone is not uh, unknown. (laughs) Okay, going into this new Discovery season. So first a little disclaimer, I really had to watch both episodes quickly, and I didn't listen to your podcast of episode one so i don't know what's in there but just that you know i haven't listened yet so perhaps i'm saying stupid things you have addressed in that podcast already i'm very very happy that michael gets a little more tough not that she wasn't tough before but one of the most annoying things was that was always always her soft voice that she was for talking with me everything was and especially my wife was very annoyed by that and that's that's much much less and you also notice that when you see the intro with the flashbacks to the previous season i always thought it was just something in the actor although i cannot really judge that because i didn't see much work of sonica martin green in other stuff but here she proves she can do without or at least much less although there were quite some emotional scenes with book in the second episode i really wonder if that fits to her more firm role as a captain or that other people also gave feedback on this and the makers and directors really changed this 
consciously. First, some general remarks. I really, really love the cinematography again. Really nice composition. I love the uniforms, the colorness, the way they are designed. Really, really good. Sometimes the pace is a little too fast for me, especially when uh, Discovery gets to the space station and all that happens there. Of course, there are many, many real classic Star Trek references, of course, in Michael's speech to the Academy and having the sparks and fire on the bridge just to show that something awful is happening and with debris coming down, always on the bridge. Also the design of the space dock. But of course, these are all the things that the real Star Trek fans immediately recognize. And I really wonder if it's sometimes perhaps too obvious and too much. I have some ambivalent feelings about that. Being nice references are being over the top and a little bit too much. A little bit less and more widespread over this season would perhaps be nice. Another general remark is about the prosthetics. They got so much better. I think Saru even has a little bit of tan. Much less rubbery, much nicer in most all people. I really also liked the prosthetics of the president. She is, well, I don't think she's half Cardassian. She's perhaps a fourth or an eighth Cardassian. Very subtle. Talking about that president at the end of the first episode, I really started to doubt, is this a simulation? Is this a Kobayashi? Shimaru tests for Burnham, but then seeing the second episode, which goes on on the story of the first, I got convinced it was not a simulation. I think the president is right by saying that Michael is willing to risk the many to save the few. And that of course makes her story and her approach always appealing and adventurous and giving a nice discussion with her surroundings, just like here. Okay, that will be all for now, otherwise this feedback will be too long. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands, till next time. Thank you so much for that feedback, Fred, we really appreciate it. He got a lot of the stuff that we did, including uh, my favorite, the Sparks. Yeah. Sparks and Fire, really? (laughs) And it's definitely nice to have you back. We weren't sure you were going to make it for this season when we didn't hear from you for episode one, but glad you're back on board with us, Fred. Yeah, he must have got his shipment of dilithium crystals. Must have. <laughs> and that really nice tie-in to Fred Flintstone there for Jesus. <laughs> that was awesome. Yep. Well, and I'm glad you didn't have to put up with Michael's soft voice in this episode or too much in uh, episode two, but I'm thinking it probably won't last. <laughs> Yeah, it won't last. You know, I like her, but she bothers me, too. When the episode started, they had another hair change for her. Right. Like, how many times did Picard change his hair? I'll tell you. (laughs) None. None. Neither did Kirk. Neither did Cisco. Uh, Yeah, good grief. Janeway might have a couple of times. Yeah, changed it it once from the original school marm to the, uh, you know, hot captain. (laughs) Hot but company captain. Yeah, the cinematography in this episode was great. I do like the uniforms better than the ones that we saw at the end of last season, that's for sure. Yeah, who thinks of gray? Let's do yeah. gray. <laughs> Off blue. Really? Why? Colorblind in the uh, 33rd century or something? If you catch the Will Wheaton after show, <laughs> find yep. out that they've gone beyond a green screen. They now have an what they call an arc screen, which is just amazing. And that yeah. is probably why the cinematography has gotten 
immensely better in this season so far. That's what keeps buying this new. We keep buying new TV, Steve, so we can see all the stuff. Oh, yeah. we just did something new. You're gonna have to buy a new TV. Yeah. Damn you. 8K. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I thought Saru did look a lot better than he did when we saw him last season. The, the prosthetics, I think, have improved as well. Yeah, I'm sure it's always a work in progress. Which is... oh yeah, they're always improving. That's for sure. Yeah. And I found out that the president isn't just. Cardassian and Bajoran. She's also part human. Is she? Yes. So which part? (laughs) Good question. Find out it'll be a cliffhanger. Yeah. The end of the season. (laughs) Well, as always, Fred, we really appreciate your feedback and looking forward to hearing from you on the next episode. Thanks, Fred. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. Send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Yeah, write that down because I'm going to offer a little bit of a, well, it's not a contest, but a choice when it comes to our sign up. You learn, aha, right. So you can go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. On Twitter, he's at Celia Steve, and I'm at the Real ID Dave. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of other Discovery podcasts out there. Tell your friends and we hope you are enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirls Own podcasts. And they're great because we're on them. <laughs> Oops, that slipped. So in closing, the third episode on December 2nd, Good Great December, yes. is titled Choose to Live. So until then, remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. How we choose to spend our moments in the short time that we have matters. Just think, unless it's uh, programmable matters. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, and this is Redshirt Dave. And yeah, I could not make up my mind in a choice of closing statements. So if you wrote down that contact information, you can choose from either A, I get a wrist tingle when I connect to my spore drive, or B, I get to see what my body looks like today, and it's huge. (laughs) 